Hi everyone, welcome to The Lab Report, a podcast that will show you the inner workings of the clinical lab through discussions, interviews, and stories. Most importantly, you will see what goes on behind the scenes in the clinical lab and how it can impact you. Hi everyone, Uh, welcome to this edition of The Lab Report. I should introduce myself. My name is Lori Beach. I'm the clinical biochemist at IWK Health in Nova Scotia in Halifax. The CSCC is an organization has been around for quite some time. And because today's topic is about women in STEM, I took the opportunity to have a look at what I could find for how women have been able to thrive in this profession as clinical biochemists and actually have leadership in this organization as well. From very early days, as early as 1967, when the Clinical Biochemistry Journal was established in Canada, Dr. Diana Schatz was the business manager of this new journal. Furthermore, we've had presidents of the CSCC who were women in leadership as early as 1987. And since 1987, we have had five women right now, including our current president, who was a woman in this profession. Today's talk and topic is about women in science, technology, engineering, and medicine, STEM. And we have two wonderful clinical biochemists who are going to be talking with me today. Dr. Natalie Landry is in the final year of her fellowship in clinical biochemistry in the postgraduate medical education program at the University of Manitoba. Prior to this, she completed her undergraduate studies also at the University of Manitoba with a Bachelor of Science degree in biotechnology and computer science. She then went on to obtain a PhD in physiology and pathophysiology at the Albrechtson Research Center in Winnipeg. Our other panelist today is Dr. Basma Ahmed, who is currently a first-year clinical biochemistry fellow at McMaster University. She completed a medical doctorate in Egypt, a master's in physiology at the Université de Montréal under the supervision of Dr. Julie Lavois, and her PhD in biochemistry at McMaster University. So Natalie and Basma, welcome to the podcast and say hello. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you so much. That's a great opportunity. So today we were hoping to just get some insights, our perspectives as women who have found this profession. What our listeners can't see right now is that we all come from slightly different backgrounds. We're at different phases in our careers and our journeys. So maybe to start, what if we chatted about how did you find your career in life science, and then subsequently in lab medicine. We've heard the bio. So how did you how did you land in that? Was it really obvious that you always wanted to go this direction? Or was it a bit more of a flexible route? Um, I guess I'll go first. Um, So my journey into the life sciences was rather circuitous, I guess. Um, I had originally started my undergraduate studies in computer science. It was my major, Um, but I was also working part time with a group at the University of Manitoba called WISE, which stands for Women in Science and Engineering. Um, And this was a group of of women, um, of female students who had put on these workshops for school aged children. Um, And it was covering all topics in STEM. So it didn't matter what your major was. You had to teach 
science, technology, engineering, math, all of it. Um, and so as I was giving these workshops, I was learning more and more about the life sciences and biology. And I found that I was probably more interested in the life sciences than computer science. Um, so I ended up taking some bioinformatics courses because that's, you know, that area that there's that intersection of computer science and biology. And I ended up switching my major to biotechnology and had computer science as a minor focus instead. And then later on in my undergraduate studies, I worked at the uh, youth biolab Jeunesse. Um, and this is a lab in the St. Boniface Hospital Research Center where school-age children and teachers can come and have a real biomedical research experience. They can come in and culture cells or run PCR and get their hands dirty and, you know, kind of see what researchers do. Um, and that's where I met my future PhD supervisor. So after working there for a few years, I eventually started a project as a summer student, which then eventually morphed into my thesis project for my PhD. I think it's so neat that at the very start of that journey, it was, what was that acronym again? WISE, Women Wise. in Science and Engineering. Yeah. That's that's very cool. And then you found clinical biochemistry after PhD life? Kind of near the end of my PhD. my One of my committee members, she knew that I wasn't necessarily interested in the traditional academic career path. And I couldn't really see myself in my PI's shoes in terms of a future job. But I also wasn't quite sold on the idea of working in industry. And she had mentioned the program in clinical biochemistry. So, you know, I read up on the subject, had a few informational interviews and thought, you know, yeah, I think this would be a really good fit for me. Um, and so I ended up applying for programs as a result of her, her encouragement. Spasma, how about you? Okay, that's a long-held uh, passion about laboratory <laughs> medicine. <laughs> so I started back in Egypt after my medical uh, degree. I had an interest in laboratory medicine. There are there were many factors that made me passionate about this field back then. But what I picked as a speciality there was medical biochemistry, which typically it's a bit different than the medical biochemistry field uh, in Canada, like or the medical biochemistry practice in Canada. But I was offered um, uh, like a faculty position in, in, in my university in Egypt. And for that, um, I needed to do graduate studies, like master's and a PhD to fulfill the requirements for the position, which I already started there, but I always had this passion to do the studies like internationally, the graduate studies internationally. I really wanted also to see the experience of lab or the practice of laboratory medicine from a different scope, like an international experience. So I had the opportunity to come to Canada and I, it, it was difficult to get an opportunity like as because when I came to Canada I was an international uh, student a very challenging path uh, to find uh, an opportunity to, to start my graduate studies here which I'm glad I, I I was able to do it the the beginning was like in a uh, basic science uh, experience which I enjoyed and I learned a lot I found that like 
I wanted also to learn the clinical research. <laughs> Uh, so this was my uh, decision to switch uh, for the PhD into a clinical research environment. Passion for clinical chemistry was there, like all the time. So I actually, before I joined McMaster for PhD, I knew that the uh, program for the, the fellowship program um, uh, there for clinical chemistry is available at, at, at the university. And I knew that I need to complete uh, doctoral uh, PhD uh, to fulfill that requirement, um, which I did, <laughs> and 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 it was a it was a fantastic uh, experience which I, I really enjoyed. Um, so within uh, what I wanted to say within like a chance, it was like a it, this is a, a long held passion for laboratory medicine. So you saw it and you just persisted. You I know, did. did many. <laughs> <laughs> Many yeah. steps along the way, but persisted with it. Yeah, that's yeah. really, really interesting for me. I it's funny because I was thinking about this and and saying, like, thinking back and saying, did I have someone like a mentor or something in my life that that really encouraged me in just science to start? Because I will say, for me, I didn't even know the profession existed until the very end of my PhD, and so it was very much a you know, I don't really know what I'm doing with this, but I just love it, like in terms of the science. So I'm just going to keep going until I sort of figure out what I want to do with it. And similarly to Natalie's story, towards the end of my PhD was thinking, I don't know that the traditional academic route is really right for me. Lots of other women PIs that I had seen were like killing it, like doing an amazing job at it, but it just didn't seem like it was the right fit for me. And it's funny, as I was thinking about that, it was like, well, Mr. Batcher, Mr. Batcher, who was my grade 10 biology teacher, he was a great teacher. And he also made me feel like I was really good at this. So it's funny, though, because when I went to university, I started in kinesiology and physical education. I had intended to be a gym teacher. And then I fell in love with chemistry. So switched my majors, switched everything. And, you know, I always worked with really great people and and had you know my my master's mentors and my phd supervisor all like fantastic men who were very supportive like 100% supportive of of me continuing in my education as as a woman but it wasn't actually until for in in my particular case it wasn't until i did a little stint in industry that i saw women in leadership in science in a very like significant way because in this you know multinational organization that i was working with at every level women were leading this development in in both the science and the operations and it was really fantastic to see so yes I, that that was sort of my my story and how I how I got there as well. I talked about my mentors a little bit. Um, it, for either of you, was was there another woman, or even as you've started to encounter clinical biochemistry now, are there women that you see in this profession that you consider mentors or people that you find really impressive? Um, for me, I'm, she'll, she'll be embarrassed maybe that I call her out, but like <laughs> Natalie Lepage is amazing. Yeah, the first time I met her and and just like how she approaches things in this field. So actually, my mom uh, is uh, used to be um, a chemistry teacher, and uh, and and I think 
deep down in me, <laughs> settled a seed, right, for loving chemistry. However, when she used to help me, like, in, in, in my chemistry classes, and I think every time she will, like, she sit, sat with me to um, uh, help me, that would be, like, a great initiation for me to sleep. So, but I guess it lifts it lifts something inside me for for, for <laughs> so like, so your mom that, was like a big influence, yeah. I think so I think so. She was a big influence, like to start that scene inside me, and 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 I recall like being like actually like um, a physician. Um, I had a um, elementary school teacher who used to uh, write, encourage me, and she forever called me as Dr. Plasma. I'm not sure why, what yeah. she saw in me, but that was she called me like forever. And I think, again, this is something that, you know, like it's still a seed in, inside you, like for, for the future, I guess. But speaking about mentors, like when I, it, of course I had a, I had great mentors back in Egypt, like where, or like also like women mentors that they were fantastic um, in, in, in the field of uh, laboratory medicine. Um, but also like in Canada, I, I think like I, I did my master's with a female mentor. Uh, I did the PhD with also a female mentor. Like my, uh, I worked in academic uh, closely um, and I did a postdoc <laughs> uh, with a female mentor. <laughs> so, uh, and I think I learned um, a lot from each one of them. Like, it, 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 like um, each one of them had a, a unique experience, I guess, uh, and and gave me something unique, um, which again I really appreciate um, all the all the all the experiences that I got from them. I'm glad you brought up your mom because I I have to admit my mom neither of my parents are in science and so they always. Right like shake their heads that I ended up with like the science brain. Um, but she made me a better writer. hundred percent. My mom made me a better writer with her, you know, background and her strengths. I am not as fortunate as Basma with the amount of mentorship that she received and, and all facets of her life. But I think if I had to pinpoint one person, it would be um, in my undergraduate studies, my the professor who taught classical techniques in analytical chemistry, her name was Dr. Elena Smirnova. And she always came to class in a pantsuit with three inch heels, her hair perfectly coiffed with these fabulous cat eye glasses. And she That's just amazed confidence. You know, when, when she was teaching, when she was demonstrating in the lab, she knew what she was doing and she commanded attention. And at the same time, she had this like very compassionate kind of motherly way of teaching. And she genuinely cared for her students and, and wanted them to succeed. She would have, you know, sessions outside of class hours to help students uh, with the course and their labs. And I, I just genuinely admired her. Like I thought if she can be a scientist and still be feminine and command respect you know I want to be that too I just thought like this is something to aspire to and 
I just loved her classes. I took all her classes after that because she was just amazing. And I feel like that was like my North Star in terms of what to strive for. Very cool. I feel like you're well on your way. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's interesting, too, when we've had those sorts of amazing teaching experiences. I mean, for me, part of what I really love about teaching is I do hope that I'm giving someone else, another young person, that same sort of aha moment of, I can be good at this. There's there's sometimes some really significant challenges that um, can come up as women were navigating, you know, a, a system that wasn't necessarily built for us. And, and you know, we could, <laughs> we could find... Um, resources from you know various places and and people who study this who could probably actually speak much more knowledgeably about it potentially than than we might be able to but we can speak from our experiences um from you know from my experience continuing in my academic pursuits was hard on relationships it can be hard on relationships um And so, you know, when I finished my fellowship in clinical biochemistry, for example, and I was studying, you guys are almost going to be at this point because both of you are training right now. I'm a little longer in the tooth that I've been in my career for a few years now. But um, when I was studying for my exam, one of the things that I so appreciated about my partner was that he took on so much of those domestic side of things like that mental load of what's for dinner that mental load of you know is the dog been taken out for a walk and when I needed to study he was so supportive to to help me do that and it it's something that I know is challenging because depending on you know what relationships you have and and who you're responsible for in my case it was a dog for some other people it may be children um and for some of us it's deciding when or if we're going to have children um you know those are those are factors that are sometimes a little more unique for us okay i i totally agree and uh, i i think also um it's very important to find your um, other channels of support, not necessarily a partner. Um, so I, um, as a single mom uh, for three uh, younger children, um, and, and it's hard, it's difficult. And I'm still single <laughs> until this moment. And I'm doing the training uh, program. Um, my mom supported me at the time, like during the PhD. She's not with me uh, now. Um, but I found it, um, great support from my peers, my colleagues, uh, my mentors as well. Like the, everybody, like everyone around me, like um, to support um, the um um, in 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 the what I call like my my, my the, our office uh, for for like for where I did the 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 our, my studies. It, it's it's great to have um, a circle of support um, and be vocal about the needs. Um, 
for either it's like family challenges with their children or personal challenges generally, and also uh, the mental support. That's very, very important. Um, it, like either by finding like a, you know, like a counseling or like mental support or like at the time, I guess, like maybe going for exercises, like anything that helps you do it. it it's so hard. It's such a hard career and hard path and um, you need a lot of support for that. So one of the things that I notice whenever I go to a CSCC meeting is that there's a lot of women. Like there's a lot of men too, but I've been to scientific meetings where, you know, I still felt like a minority in the sense of, you know, my sex, but not so much at a CSCC meeting. There's, there's a lot of women. And I think even among trainees that have recently come through our programs, there's a lot of women. Um, And I'm curious if any of us sort of have any ideas about why that is. I'm curious if there are things about a career in clinical biochemistry that's really attractive to women. What do you guys think? Um, I mean, one thing that I thought was very attractive um, is, you know, especially coming out of the crucible that is a, a PhD, um, there is, there isn't really that publisher parish mentality um, like that doggy dog mentality that's required to keep an academic career alive. In clinical biochemistry, you can still have, you know, that academic side along with your clinical and analytical and um, other responsibilities. But if you want to have a research program, you can. It's just not a requirement. It's something that you can do if you choose. I think that because it's not an uh, and or situation, but rather just an option, um, that's really, you know, having that flexibility is really attractive. You're not boxed into one career path. And I think that's something that definitely drew me to the profession. I'm noticing even for me that having been in it for a little bit longer now, that as phases of my life evolve, like um, when my stepkids needed more of me, then I really focused only on the clinical and I just like, cause that was the work that needed to get done now that they're in college and like starting their own careers and things like this. Um, I am finding I'm lifting my head a little bit more and saying, I think I can take on research and I have that opportunity, which is really fantastic. Um, so that's one of the things that similar to you, Natalie, I really loved that it was, I could do all three. I could teach and I could do the clinical, and I could do the research. And I got to be at that pivot point of where research gets translated into routine care. Like that was super attractive to me as well. Um, Because some of it's the very practical things about it, um, as well as, you know, really scratching that scientific itch. Yeah, having that tangible impact on patient care is really attractive, especially if you've been working in basic science research where, you know, the fruits of your labor may not be clinically relevant for 20 plus years, right? And having that immediacy, the results of of your work, having that right away is pretty cool. So as we've been talking about, you know, how we found clinical biochemistry as young women, how we, well, youngish for me anyways, (laughs) how we 
how we, you know, enjoy um, various aspects of this career. I'm curious what you would advise or tell or something like that to uh, a young woman who is already thinking about maybe doing a PhD, maybe doing, you know, more education and maybe even like, because they've maybe found this podcast, um, you know, thinking about clinical biochemistry as a career, any advice you would give a young person as they're starting on this path? I would give an advice, not necessarily for a young person, even for an older person. So, so it's just like age is just a number. Do your thing. Do what you want. Believe in yourself. Right. Go for it. If you feel it, go for it. Right. Um. So, and I think this is an advice. Not necessarily. I was told this like as the like in the in the way that I'm saying it now. But I was told it maybe like indirectly. Right. Like you can do it. Uh. Maybe it's like uh, the. Ridiculously um, not logic, right? Uh, but you can do it. You still can do it if you believe in yourself and your abilities and your capabilities and like um, the path that you really want to pursue. Um, you can do it. So this is the advice that I I, I think I, I heard this um, again, not necessarily directly, but like from people around me. Uh, directly from my mom, of course. Like we can do it all the time. And I think she tells me that every day. Uh, and it's like, uh, um, so yeah, that would be my my advice. One of the best things that I heard and kind of adopted when I was finishing my PhD was, I have no special skills. I am only unreasonably persistent. And I feel like sometimes, as a woman in science, that's <laughs> sort of what you got to be. <laughs> Right. And, and maybe resilient. That's, that's resilience for sure. For sure. Well, es especially in the face of like, when you layer in those society standards yeah. that we put on ourselves or right, both for women and men. My, my piece of advice would be important for young women to become self advocates and to advocate for their own needs, um, both professionally, personally, what have you. Um, because I think it's very easy, especially in a PhD program, postdoctoral program, to want to demonstrate that, yes, I'm able to do all of this. Um, and that setting boundaries is important um, in that respect as well. You know, even as we talk about how many women are in clinical biochemistry and and some of the flexibility that it offers us it it is still challenging right like there's the day-to-day -day things that happen in family life as well and there's resiliency that we need to build up um there's you know supports that we have talked about and you know continue to talk about how fantastic they are but um you know sometimes things just go sideways. And I'm curious what your experiences are with, you know, having having family life very much insert itself, whether it's during training, or in, you know, regular clinical work. What have you encountered? Um, I encountered 
encountered so many things. <laughs> and I, I consider myself so lucky to be in a very supportive program, actually, to um to my uh, situation or to the situation that I, I encounter because like things happen, as you said. Um, so um, I like any like and like examples for things that may happen that um we have an academic half day and my kid wake up like uh sick and I have to do the the session virtually right uh, rather than being in person so I have to look a bit to my mentors and for that uh or um I have a meeting uh, I'm at work and I have a meeting coming up and like uh, I receive a phone call from the school uh, your son is not feeling well come pick, pick up, right yeah so um, and, I, and I am the primary caregiver and not necessarily that I have like a backup uh, plan uh, all the time for these situations um, and I can say that early like I would say maybe in during the PhD um, um, I was I had these moments that I, I felt like, is it appropriate to say that? What, what other people would think about me? Maybe they will think that I'm lazy. I'm not doing my job or you know what I mean? So you have that feeling, you know, or at least myself. But I learned as, as a part of my um, being in this career, I learned that like, it's okay. I have to embrace that, right? And I have to be vocal about my needs uh, because when I get the support that I need, I will do better, like on the long run, right? Um, so I think this is very important um, for women as if they are in science and primary caregivers, or um, or like just have pets or like other or children, other responsibilities. I just like be vocal about your needs. That's very important. Absolutely. I think what one thing that you hit on that I really liked was just this idea of of saying it doesn't have to be either or. That you know when when we have these home responsibilities, whether it's children, stepchildren, pets, um, you know, or or you know, as we get older, maybe parents as well. Um, that what I love about this career is that I've never felt like I have to diminish my experience as a woman. Do you know, do you know what I mean by that? That I can embrace the fullness of my life as a scientist and my life and what happens outside of the laboratory as well. And it makes for a very full life, right? With, with the family life that goes along with it. My, my passion doesn't, end when I leave the doors of the laboratory. One of the things that I really love about my job is just how many different people I get to work with as well. And of course, this is going to flex and change depending on sort of the culture and the vibe of your organization. Um, Here, you know, I have uh, a great team of medical laboratory technologists and other um, affiliated scientists that that I get to rub shoulders with and talk to. And part of that conversation is, you know, yeah, my my stepdaughter got into design school and it's super exciting. And oh, she got the co-op placement that she wanted. And it's that fully human 
experience um, that sometimes felt a little bit lacking during my PhD days, right? Because you're just like so zoned in to whatever that minutia of the experiment was at the time. And um, I always joke that when we when we go into clinical biochemistry, usually after doing a PhD, you know, we knew so much about this tiny little topic, right? And then you go into clinical biochemistry and you need to know whole bunch of different areas right very quickly and 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 yeah pretty robustly and it sort of it felt like at the same time that that happened i got some of that breadth of family and um some of those supports back for me as well um that was just my experience so i think this has been a really fantastic discussion um as we wrap up, I'd love to go around our panel again and, and just ask, as women in STEM who are clinical biochemists, do you have like one take-home, takeaway message? Uh, mine would be that you don't have to be the loudest person in the room to be a great leader. You can make tangible, meaningful contributions, um, and you can do it in your own way. And that's how I see myself leading as a clinical biochemist. I love that. How about you, Basma? Um, I would say that women in this field have many competing uh, priorities and responsibilities uh, between work and uh, life uh, that we may actually see them as uh, obstacles from perspective pursuing like a successful career. Mm -hmm. um, but I think I uh, succeeded in uh, shift my thinking to use these responsibilities uh, as opportunity uh, to gain new skills that will help me to succeed in my career. That's amazing. And uh, both of these women on the panel are like in either just finishing their training or getting close to finishing their training. And I'm really, really excited to have you as colleagues soon. Um, my, I guess, take home message uh, is, is just that I really value in this career that I don't have to be in a tiny box. I get to really experience the fullness of being in family life, being a stepmom, a daughter sometimes an adventurer, um, and then at work, also getting to be a researcher, a teacher, uh, a clinician. So we hope you guys have enjoyed um, being on the panel. We hope uh, you, our listeners, have enjoyed this sometimes winding conversation on our experiences as clinical biochemists and women in STEM. And we hope you have the opportunity to tune in to the Lab Report podcast next time. So thank you all for listening to this episode of The Lab Report. So please let us know what you think by leaving us a review on iTunes. And you can email us any questions you have at epoc or epocc at cscc.ca. See you in the next episode.